Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Hello, Pippa. And today we are joined by Carol Alexander uh, from Sussex University. How are you doing, Carol? I'm fine. Welcome to the podcast. Um, so let's just start, maybe just explain what do you do at the moment? What is your primary role at the moment? I'm a professor of finance. Very good. And and professor of finance these days, I guess, becomes a bigger and bigger subject as the years go past. You know, there's more and more components. Is that fair? Yes. We could drop off the old-fashioned things like asset pricing, but unfortunately the old school prefer not to, so it does expand. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you've you've done that. How long have you been a professor of finance? Since 2000. 2000. Okay. Mm. And what... Uh, you know, in your role, what, how do you sort of split your time? I, when you're a professor, what does that mean? That means you, you what, did a PhD and then are at a university as a sort of leading expert and you write papers and things? Is that what that yes. means? Yeah. Yes, although my PhD was in algebraic number theory. Of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're sitting here because, you know, as, as much as anything, you've, you've got your head around a subject that most of us are still sort of struggling with. And I think, Everyone accepts to some extent that the blockchain has incredible uses for society. But I think... No, not everyone. Not Well, not everyone, that's true. That's absolutely true. A number but, of people accept that. But, yes. but, but as a, whenever anyone comes up with a new concept that has some uses, you know, the blockchain as a concept is a genius sort of concept that someone's come up with this sort of public ledger. Would you not... You don't agree? No. No, I don't agree at all. Ah. Okay, first of all, you have to distinguish between two fundamental types of blockchains. Okay. One is private and one is public. Mm -hmm. And people think of Bitcoin, blockchain, and then Bitcoin, the coin. Sometimes a few years mm -hmm. ago, people got confused between the actual blockchain and the coin. And that's an example of a public blockchain. Bitcoin is? The big, the capital B for the blockchain, yeah. and little b for the, for example, the Ethereum blockchain yeah. has a coin called Ether. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people confuse that. They call the coin Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Solana blockchain has a coin called Sol, etc., etc. These are all public blockchains, okay? Yeah. And then you have the private blockchains, and they are everywhere. For example, global supply chains, banks do transactions on these private blockchains. Now, the private blockchains are not run by this incredible peer-to-peer -peer network of volunteers and, and miners. You might have heard of miners and things that get rewards for building... I like to think of a blockchain like a road, okay? And public blockchains and private blockchains both have that feature. Um, but the roads in public blockchains can be quite varied. So the Ethereum is rather like a multi-lane highway with lots of side highways and so forth. And the Bitcoin one is a bit like the old A1, <laughs> one lane, you yeah, know? Yeah. And it, it's just a toy model. Um, and this was never meant to be anything but a toy model, but and we'll get onto that maybe later. On the private blockchains, it's also just a linear sort of simple chain like the one around my neck here. And the, the thing they have in common is that the, the links are cryptographically linked. And there's a timestamp, very important timestamp. And all it is is a ledger. You know, as an accountant, what a ledger is. It's just a ledger of lots of transactions, but they're timestamped. Now, they cannot be changed in the public blockchains because of something called consensus. Mm -hmm. 
but consensus doesn't exist in private blockchains. Oh, how interesting. It's just a central authority. For example, the Bank of England are thinking about having a central bank digital currency, a CBDC, and that will come out on a private blockchain, which is linked to the private blockchain or the consortia, actually. So there's something called Corda, which is a consortium of big banks that get together and they together control this blockchain so they but can do interest mean, rate swaps. Does that mean the consortium controlling it can change yeah, exactly, the exactly. change the road? They could like. do. They could falsify. You need to trust. Or fill in a pothole. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Because that was the whole, almost the example you were giving was that, you know, here's this thing and it's so useful now, it's going to be used by major banks, but you're saying they're going to take what I thought was good about it, exactly like you say, it's a ledger, but there's a... There's a an sort unchangeable of a, an un, ledger. unbreakable link. So from an accountant, from an audit trail point of view, that's fantastic. That's what yes. we want. We want an absolute audit trail, you know. But you're saying privately that they can go back and fix, change things. They so could do. What, uh, because but they there's no... They, they can't, they can't on... in the public ones. Why, why, why is there no consensus in private? Why is there no... Because I understand they build the block and then something happens and it's a sort of mathematical cryptographic. The new block is created yes. and you can put stuff in it. Yes. That's the whole basis. How, how, what, they have the keys to go and like... Okay, shall I explain why a public blockchain is immutable? Yeah, yes. Okay. Immutable means it can't yeah, yeah. be changed. Yes. So let's start with this toy example because it's the one that most people are familiar with. Bitcoin. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the consensus there is called proof of work. And you may have heard that it uses a lot of electricity. So the first thing we've got to understand is that everything on a computer is in binary. Yep, zero, one, zero, one. If people on films want to show what a computer yeah, likes. They it, always yeah, they yeah. But human brains don't like that. So... We prefer to have um, base 16 instead of base 2. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So that's um, the hexadecimal number. So you've got numbers 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, A, B, C, D, E, F. And that's, and then you go back. Okay. So um, anyway, I won't, I can't talk too much about that. But the point is that you see these numbers, and uh, just to be sure that it's a hex number, um, it's called zero X at the beginning and then all that number. These numbers are used for identification of everything. Instead of turning it into binary, for example, a picture would be turned into a hexadecimal number. I never understood actually what the hexadecimal meant. In, in, in I, I thought it was, anyway, continue, 16 numbers, yeah. Yeah, it's because our brains find it easier. I mean, my wallet has a hexadecimal number with 64 digits and my memory's good enough for me to remember it. Yeah. 64 hexadecimal things. So it could be A4, F2, 0, A, C, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. So that is um, also, um, it's the same as 256, 0, 1, 0, 1, 0, 1, you know, so yeah, yeah. Uh, 0, 0, 0, The one, alpha one, 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 gives yeah. is 26, the other one, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so that 256 zeros or ones is the same as 64 hex. Mm -hmm. Okay, so why do we want to have 256 binary or 64 hex? It's because 
every bit of information can be put into a very, 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 very long binary, you know, so your picture, for example, can be turned into binary that goes on and on and on, on, millions of zeros and ones, right? Or voices, everything on a computer is in binary. But it can also be turned into very, very, very long hex. Now, the first thing that happens is that you you do something called compression. So you divide that very, very long thing into 64, 64, 64, 64, 64. And then you put two 64 together in something called a hash function. And for that reason, some people call hexadecimals in crypto hashes. And so you hash two of them together and you get another one because of the properties of the hash function that is also 64. And you do that all the way along and now you've got half as many and then you go on and on and on and on and you end up with one thing. Okay. Now imagine that this one thing represents your picture. And in fact, many transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain, they have a notes section. Somebody uploaded a video of their wife giving birth. It was one hexadecimal number of 64 things. And all the other details, like the wallet address, where it's going from, where it's going to, everything is is encapsulated into, eventually, but one you, you need to know the number. hash to undo the... To undo the, the to, to see the wife's birth of the video, he's giving you one number, you would need to know the hash to get backwards? That's actually not possible. The whole oh. point of this cryptography is that when you know the hash, it's almost impossible to know what came before it. Right. Okay? But anyway, you send a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain as a hash or 64-bit hex. And... Then the Bitcoin network, all these volunteers and so forth, and people who are trying to earn money, will collect all those transactions on that are coming onto this motorway. And they haven't actually been built into a block. They're like queuing on the side of the A1. Okay, yeah. And there are about eight huge conglomerates. Um, they used to mostly be in China, but then China banned Bitcoin mark, m- mining. And so most of them actually moved to places like Texas or Alaska, usually in cold places where, or hot places where solar energy will power it, or cold places where they can cool. Renewables or Iceland, yeah. Because you see these great big machines, a a Bitcoin mining farm, which could be one farm of hundreds in this conglomerate called F2 pool or slushy pool or whatever. This farm contains millions of these specially designed machines and they burn a lot of electricity. You have to cool them and the machines are whirring 24-7. So the question is, what on earth are they doing? So Each one of these pools has something called the memory pool. So volunteers, light nodes, um, who aren't getting any payment for this, or maybe the pool runs its own light nodes, will look at the transaction and say, has this Bitcoin been spent before? Is there something called double spend? And you can look all the way through the Bitcoin records that it keeps and say, no, it hasn't been spent before. It's coming from the right wallet and it's going to that wallet. Okay, this is a verified transaction. I'll put it in the mempool and on and on. Okay, then this particular mining machine will grab a load of transactions, loads of them, up to one megabyte of them, and it'll put them all together and then it'll start building something called a Merkle tree. And this happens on every blockchain that does proof of work. In fact, 
even uh, in, in other blockchains, but just talk about the Bitcoin one. So they build something called the Merkle tree. And they pairwise, pairwise, hash, 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 hash. So all those particular transactions have one transaction route. It's a bit like a Lego brick. Mm -hmm. It's got a sort of thumb on it. That's the transaction route. Now, this puzzle they have to solve is they have to trial and error, spin the random wheel again and again and again. And every time they do that, they get a 64-bit hex. And then they hash it with this unique transaction route and see what they get. And it's probably A, C, 4, 9, whatever, you know. And then they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again, until they get not just one zero to begin with, because in fact, if they did it 16 times, probably they'd get one zero to begin with, you know, or maybe, you know, 32 One times. zero meaning one agreement, one match or something? Or no, the hexadecimal number that they get. So they've got this unique transaction route, which is 64 hexadecimal numbers. And they get another one of 64 hexadecimal numbers, and then they hash it together using the compression yeah. algorithm, and they see what the hex is that they get. And it has to start with more than one zero. It has to start with maybe 10 zeros or 20 zeros. It all depends how busy the network is. That's called the hash rate. So if the hash rate has got tons of pools all over the world, whirring and whirring and whirring, you have to find more zeros. The difficulty is the number, is, is, a, is associated with the number of zeros you need to find in this puzzle. And it's called finding the nonce. A lot of terminology <laughs> is taken from Alice in Wonderland. Okay, but that's got all sorts of terrible connotations. Yes. But anyway, carry oh, on. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. Sorry, I'm a bit innocent. Anyway, you know, I'm only a mathematician. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they find they find this. Wait thing. till we get to talk about yeah. zero knowledge snarks. <laughs> okay. All from Lewis Carroll. Oh wow. <laughs> oh yeah, the snarks. Hunting as a snark. Snark. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's another so one. So they find this thing that has. However many zeros. They find the stuff. nonce, and the yeah. nonce is just a random um, hex that when hashed with the unique transaction route gives you zero, 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 however many you need, and then whatever. Yeah? And then they say, bingo! <laughs> and then everybody else drops all the transactions back and starts again. And it's designed, the difficulty goes up and down so that one block is made every 10 minutes. So is that a block? When they found the nonce, that's yes. the block. But all the transactions that they 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 Piled chose together. become the block. One yeah. megabyte of transactions okay. become the next section of this motorway. Yeah, and it's designed so that you get one every ten minutes. Why? Well, I, I thought it was getting harder and harder to find them. They were finding. They were finding. You're saying effectively finding a bitcoin. This is this is a, we're talking about bitcoin. Oh right, we? exactly, exactly. You got it right. So that. The reason why Bitcoin is not a fiat currency, and that's one of the reasons why it's popular. Fiat meaning cash. Meaning you can print as many as you like, like we do with dollars or pounds. Is that actually the definition of a fiat? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Although it's, it's not always ideal to print as much as you like. Well, quanti yeah. quantitative easing can wait for the yes. minute, but yeah. Yeah, but that's exactly the process yeah. of printing is yeah. quantitative yeah. easing. Yeah, yeah. So... At the beginning, the original genesis block, because this motorway started somewhere, yeah. Yeah. a blockchain has to start somewhere. And the genesis block, which was made by um, somebody called Satoshi Nakamoto, who nobody knows who it is. Maybe it's Nick Sabo. Maybe it's uh, lots of people. The I've met him. 
Nick. <laughs> I think Nick he's the Australian. No. Oh, this is no, one of the Polish. Guys. Oh, the, I've met one of the people who claims he was certainly around early okay, on. Okay, he claims he's um, loads of people who are claiming their Satoshi anyway, Nakamoto. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. anyway, so Satoshi Nakamoto started the very first transaction, which was just a message. Um, Chancellor on brink of second bailout to banks. The Times, 2nd of January, 2009. Yeah. yeah. And that was the message that was in the first transaction. That's all it was. Okay. And he sent this transaction to from his wallet to Hal Finney's wallet. And because there was no need to mine at that point, that became the first block. And the reward for that block was 50 bitcoins. And then Hal Finney started, he got 50 bitcoins. Who, we created. Who was Hal Finney? Hal Finney is... Was a, um, an associate of um, Satoshi okay. Nakamoto. So where did the bitcoins come from? They just, they just got were created. produced. They're just, they're just hexadecimal numbers. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 So there's 50 bitcoins, right? Mm-hmm. And then Hal, Hal Finney sent some of these bitcoins here and there to other friends and in the network and so forth. And every time he did... There was 50 bitcoins until it got large enough to have the mining process going on that I was talking about earlier. Okay. And then we had real miners, machines. In fact, you could do it with an ordinary PC and they did do it with an ordinary PC, not special machines with graphical, you know, special Mm. cards and so forth. And so it was designed exactly so that 10 minutes, 10 minutes, a block, a block, a block, and then more and more transactions were growing. After... A certain number of blocks, I think it might be 1,020, no, I can't remember the exact number, but approximately after four years, so you think of 10 minutes, how many 10 minutes are there in four years? That's the number of blocks. Yeah. Technical (laughs) term. Yep. So after four years, the reward went to 25 Bitcoins, and after another four years, it went to 12 and a half Bitcoins, and now it's 6.25 Bitcoins, and eventually in 2042, the reward will be so tiny that there won't be so any more So it's getting less and less worth it as time goes on. Well, there's also, you see, the miner, when he picks up all these um, transactions, um, if you did a transaction and you didn't add a little tip for the miner, a, 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 a transaction fee, your transaction could stay, could wait for days. But if you put a big fee, then he'll take it straight away. Okay, so that's, in terms of it was designed to happen every 10 minutes, but... Each time you've got to solve this little mathematical riddle. How can it be, you know, how do we know? How, he could have sent it to his mate and he sent it to three people or he sent it to a hundred people. Surely that affects how many of these things are being produced, no? And how okay. powerful the computers are and these sorts of things. That being, um, when you send Bitcoin, that this, um, what we call the light nodes, not the mining nodes, all check for the double spend that you haven't sent it elsewhere. So that's how they validate the transaction. It doesn't get into this pool until it's been validated. Okay. But, I mean, we we, we we could get lost for days on many of these. Yes, this is even really good, the though. Script. Loving it, though, because well, uh, you've just, like, well, blown my mind in the last 10 minutes. This is the point of why we're talking about it. At the end of the day, this is a subject that's evolving, and, and it's it's... I, would you say it's here to stay, at least, blockchain or, or you know? Well, um, the founder of Web 3.0, I forget his name, says that we don't need blockchain. And I think that blockchains are, have been bigged up to be an awful lot more than they actually deliver. Yeah. However, this ability to timestamp and and to code everything into hexadecimal, I think is, is, is here to stay, absolutely. And 
Public. But that isn't called blockchain? Yeah. No, oh, that is called blockchain. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, so blockchain private, is here uh, to stay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, these private blockchains for global supply chain, they're invaluable. I yeah. mean, if an insurance company um, needs to, to validate that there was a, a tidal waves that sunk a ship or something, then that's all going to be on the blockchain. The, all the users of, you know, the port authorities, the insurance companies, the banks that do the letter of credits, the exporter, the importer. But the if, that's a company, if that's a private blockchain, yeah. they can manipulate it again. So they it's not could. worthless. They, they could, but there are, you know, these consortia get together anyway. It's, it, I mean, it's not yeah, easy it could to. be, but it's not easy, exactly. Okay. Who's guarding the gods, it comes down to in the end. Yeah. Okay, so um, effectively you can build these, I guess, mathematical roads and the proof of concept was the fact that there was an external system of checks and balances, whereas in a private system, you, 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 you could go change reality if you wanted. So based on that, but you then just made an example that what was most useful about blockchain, for instance, yeah, the insurance industry and people being able to, I mean, let's just give a, practical use there in terms of the insurance industry use it how in reality what, what are they doing with it well if you imagine the um, various people involved in exporting and importing for example yeah if there is a problem on one of the ships that gets delayed it could be for a number of reasons there could be whether at sea, it could have sunk, you know, whatever. But at every point along the journey of this washing machine or whatever that's coming from Germany to, to London, everything is recorded on the same blockchain. So at, at all the part, all the participants, the the banks who offer the um, finance, the insurance, well, well, the washing machine's got a chip on it. Who's recording it? Ah, ah very good. So the the origin. That's where you need the trust. So, for example, organic tomatoes coming from Israel to Sainsbury's or whatever. Now, once it's been verified as being actually grown on this proper organic farm and that that QR code has, you put has a, been... It's a QR code, ultimately, in practice, gets stuck on the box. It does, exactly. And that's the, the point where you've got to trust something. But once it's stuck on the box and it's entered into the blockchain, everything else is recorded as it goes along. And as long as it hasn't been opened, that particular QR code travels along the blockchain and it must be that one. And this is a bit like the concept of legal contracts. There's been much excitement that rather than having a contract that says party A will do party B, you could have a contract that said, well, if the ship's lost at sea, X gets a million pounds. And then you could have a, a blockchain that goes, oh, we've got an official recording now from whatever source saying yes. it was lost at sea. Click. I don't know, it gets more and more digital, doesn't it? But some, someone at the end of the day is going to have to report that. And then that would that that contract can immediately trigger rather than waiting nine months and going through court. Exactly. You know, it goes, ding, there's your million pounds. It sunk. We know for a fact X happened. You know? Now you've got us on perfectly to the subject of smart contracts, yeah. which is an absolutely important really important subject because that is what's here to stay. Smart lawyers need smart contracts. What is a smart contract? Smart contracts is something that gets coded into a blockchain and is self-fulfilling. So, for example, interest rate swaps, um, which have regular payments from one party to another, can be coded into a smart contract, which is just if this, then that code. And within the, block within within a blockchain. the blockchain. Usually and in Ether, is it? Or, yeah, exactly, it, yes. Yeah. The Ethereum blockchain yeah. was designed to carry smart contracts. contracts yeah. The Bitcoin blockchain was not. 
I mean, you can add bits of string and elastoplast. You know, the Omni layer is a bit... It, it can do that, but it's not designed to do that, and it's really bad. But the Ethereum blockchain, um, invented by Vitalik Buterin, who is an absolute visionary, uh, and with a roadmap that at the moment we're just got news that the merge will happen in September and all the tests are really, really good and that's a what, huge... What, new Ether too? Will you talk about the road? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And that's why the price of Ether has just been getting going up a lot recently. But anyway, so that's the next thing towards the serenity. I mean, it started off with the, the frontier and then the homestead and then the metropolis and, and, uh, and various, what we call hard forks, that changes in the blockchain where the entire community who support this, this, net, this network that support the blockchain have to agree to a change in the consensus protocol. I.e. just a change in how it's working because we yeah. think we've got this problem, we should improve it, basically. Exactly, and it doesn't happen on Bitcoin. That's why Bitcoin's always going to be clunky proof of work because they don't have that community, they don't have that map. Whereas with, it, with, with, with Vitalik leading the Ethereum community, they know what the next step is going to be and how we're going to get to serenity. What do, you, do you not take any arguments that the sort of almost counterintuitive point that the reason Bitcoin is sort of ending up a sort of digital goal for one of a better thing is because it uses all this energy, because it's clunky, because it's got this sort of, you know, now you think no. Bitcoin's just going to die, do you? It's a purely speculative asset, which is, um, you know, as I said at the beginning, I don't like banks. I don't. I was like, about to say, no. is a money to some extent a purely speculative asset? I mean, I know we use, we use it to trade, Bitcoin's used to trade, so it can't be said it's purely speculative. Bitcoin is, well, I mean, at the moment with, with the Russia, Russian issue, I mean, I've got, I've got clients who sell goods to people who are not on sanctions and can't get paid millions of pounds for farming equipment and crypto at the moment, you know, Bitcoin's the only way they can get their money. So it's, it's used. Well, they could use stable coins. That's another subject, Tether. But, yeah. and, and, but um, no, I mean, compared with Ether, which has a utility value. So let me just explain a little bit more yeah. about what these coins do. So you make the coins when you build the road. That's the supply. The demand is for smart contract transactions. It's like, in fact, a small unit of, of Ether, which is called GUI, is the unit that you use for the gas for smart contracts. So smart contracts are a bit like cars that run along these motorways. And then you have to go to, to, to you know, for every movement you make, you have to have gas. And unfortunately with Ethereum, there's so many smart contracts, particularly with DeFi applications and NFTs, non-fungible. Um, last year, there was just complete congestion with the NFTs, so the gas prices went really, really high. But anyway, so you use the coin for smart contracts. It, so Ether has a utility value. You know, it's, it's like a commodity, but I don't see that with, with, with Bitcoin. No, in fact, Bitcoin has become, unfortunately, Bitcoin sort of contaminates the whole of the crypto asset space. How does a tether work then? What, what, what would be the difference of uh, a, a coin that is tethered to a currency? Well, a stable coin mm -hmm. is a coin that is supposed to be pegged one for one to, uh, to gold or most of them are pegged towards the dollar or euro or there could be a basket. But the, the famous the pound, ones... pound, goddammit. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, no, there are stable coins pegged to the pound, yeah. yeah. But the, the most... People have heard of um, one of the three types of stable coins, which are um, custodial. 
So um, in order to get the stable coin, you pay the fiat and then you get the, the stable coin. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the issuer of the stable coin, for example, the tether company, capital T, as opposed to little t for the tether coin, mm-hmm. the tether company takes all this fiat and it holds it. And so if in a any, bank account somewhere. It's supposed to yeah. hold it in the, the auditors, quite another story. There's a bank in the Bahamas, Deltec Bank, which um, is supposed to be holding all this. Funny enough, fiat. they can't find half of it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Funny that, in the Bahamas. Yeah. I mean, it's not a great start, really, <laughs> is it? You know, I mean, no, nothing offends the Bahamas, but any offshore territories. Uh, anyway, that's, uh, yeah. So, okay, so there, So basically, it's lit- It's like a trust system. It's just, it's like a trust. It's almost like, okay, I'm going to give you this money, you give me a token, and then in some other time, I'm going to give you the token back and you give me your money Yeah, back. you go and redeem it. Okay. Lots of people have been redeeming so, recently. So the, what's stable, stable coins are a good idea. Why um, for the complexity, you know, banks, you know, I, have, I, I, I hear you on banks. I think um, the level of compliance is unsustainable on banks. I think to some extent, you know, they, they, they're in an possible place really the major banks in terms of their you know you look at any movements of money internationally now you know clients are getting their accounts shut all the time you know someone just had some money go from Dubai to Jersey and they shut his account you know because they're just like and you think well you know hang on I mean those you know is Dubai to Jersey the most dodgy thing in the world but you know I don't know it's definitely this not is why case. the SEC case against Ripple has been such a blow because Ripple was supposed to be the currency for cross-border transactions and Ripple was supposed to win are they gonna if they lost if they because there was always the don't worry XRP Ripple isn't it that's yeah. right yeah, and yeah. What, why is everyone so excited about Ripple when it got basically um you couldn't get it you could buy it on some exchanges but you couldn't use it anymore and there was this big case going on is that right not quite yeah okay so i mean ripple was clearly going to be the crypto answer to the swift system which is as you say is so bad and then on the other hand we have the sec particularly with gary gensler moving from the cftc where he does know a little bit about blockchain and crypto from from that experience fcc is the american uh, securities and exchange commission in in america there are so many different regulators it's not clear who should be regulating what so the cftc even the new york state attorney is is having some cases so all of those organizers you met are all american all american the american regulators um there's as i said new york state state attorney obviously um, some of the senators have uh, introduced bills and things like that as well um and then there's the cftc which is commodity futures trading commission which is mainly involved in derivatives markets and then there's the securities exchange commission which is um, involved in securities markets Mm. securities meaning Mm -hmm. either equities or bonds Okay, and so the question is, does it pass the Howey test? The Howey test is, you know, is it a bat, is it a plane, is it a whatever, you know? Um, And they, of all the crypto that they could say was a security, why they chose Ripple is, you know, because it's the least likely to be a security. Because what, it was just a mechanism to, to, to transfer internationally? Yes, so it was a bit and like it's not a even it, Ripple is not even built on a. It's different. It's not. It's a crypto asset, but it, it's it's actually supplied on tap. It's not built with this mining process. But the the difference, in my opinion, the reason there's this incredibly long ongoing case against Ripple, is that they Ripple was there because it 
Unlike threatened, most of... It threatened the banks, is that what Not only that, they were domiciled in the US. And right. most of these other, the, the decentralized finance, the centralized finance, the incredible world that's just exploded mm. is not domiciled anywhere that's um, regulated. Very attackable, yeah. Nicer than British offshore territories, I'm exactly. sure. Exactly, you know. yeah. So they basically brought the case because they could. They yes. could. And XRP was going to work on, on a simple basis that I would give, give it money and it would just print an amount of XRP and then on the other side, you know, I'd do that in America and then back in Britain, they, 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 they'd give me a load of XRP and I'd turn it into money? Or is, was that the sort of... Well, you can do that with, with stable coins. You can do that with any, yeah, I was with say. any crypto. Exactly, yes. Okay, so what we're getting out of this conversation is that you do think that there are very useful uses for blockchain and you think some of the applications, particularly the ones that are more modern and have had a bit more time to, to work out and have a utility, have a, you know, like smart contracts, are very sort of, have a huge um, help and use in sort of modern society to be able to sort of map out and control chains of logistics or contractual issues and stuff like this. You don't think, you think, Bitcoin is just an original thing that everyone's... It's a Ponzi scheme in the fact that people are just speculating to see if they can make money and exactly. stuff like that. The Bitcoin tether Ponzi scheme, one of my blogs, by the way, is called the Bitcoin... Te there's, there's a pair of them, and it just explains how tether and Bitcoin and can be used. And presumably the way you've described it, eventually Bitcoin's going to be worthless. I don't think that there is intrinsic value in Bitcoin, and eventually, not too long from now... Um, maybe in a few years, Ether will become the main currency. It's already the main unit of account for NFTs. But Ether, mm -hmm. Ether is not a currency per se, is it? In the same way, you can just use it like a coin if you want and buy and sell with it. There's no reason yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also has that yeah, ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy who came up with Ether was sort of slightly down the road inspired by Bitcoin. was like, well, we really need something that can do stuff and that we have more space in. Exactly. To, you know, it, you, you can hold larger contracts and things like that in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the internet web 2.0 is broken. Um, um, cybercrime is really an issue. But smart contracts are now underpinning web 3.0. We may not know that, you know, when we're looking at something that it's actually, um, instead of this insecure API where you log in your details in your bank and, you know, this postman like an application processing we're still spaces. filling in forms every day it's hilarious yeah. well indeed but there's old-fashioned symptoms where you've got these databases that are just saved on insecure servers yeah. will be is being replaced by smart contracts that can't be changed on not just one part of a bitcoin of, of a um, blockchain but the whole point of this network is that multiple copies are held so if one part gets attacked it doesn't matter there's multiple copies yeah. everywhere else so this is already happening smart contracts are the, the sort of bones for web 3.0 but you said that the 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 person who set up web 3.0 thinks we can do it without blockchain i didn't read that article i forgot his name <laughs> Okay, so sometimes I laugh, make myself laugh because people are like you, like the conversation we're having right now, and we think, oh, yeah. it's all very new and technological. 
And actually, we could have this conversation about money. You know, when you get into money, it's like, well, what is it? Well, it's a trust system that tomorrow. So if money is a trust system that I'm going to give you something that you're going to believe is worth oh, something tomorrow. Excellent. I know, it's about bloody time. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think you owe me for those tickets now. <laughs> no, anyway. Um, so if I'm going to give you, I'm, I, you know, that's a whole, you know, there was a very, um, what was he called? Mark, Mark oh, what's the name of that comedian? Anyway, he, Mark Thomas, he, he, he went into the Bank of England with a £10 note and he says, I want my £10. <laughs> <laughs> and they kept saying, what, sorry? And they get more and more senior people. And he says, the bearer of this will pay me £10. I, you know, give it give it to me. Which, you know, the principle would that they would produce a piece of gold, a tiny piece of gold, mm-hmm. and then say you're £10 of gold. But we all know that banks aren't underpinned anymore in that way. They have some gold, they have some assets, but we know quantitative easing has just been pumping money into the system. So when we say Bitcoin's a Ponzi scheme, I mean... Are you trying to say the entire world is a Ponzi scheme? Well, it's not fucking far off, is it? Mm, No, indeed. We dropped the gold standard. I mean, there was the Bretton Woods after the war and John Maynard Keynes, our wonderful... British economist was arguing for a currency. What was Brenton? What was Brenton Woods? Brenton those? Woods was a hotel um, where the uh, the leaders of the Allies, including Russia at that time, um, that's hilarious when you look at the list. Yeah. I think China's in there the as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they all met to decide the future of the world economy, and in particular, they needed a currency, a unit of trade. And there were a lot of arguments between the US and the U- and John Maynard Keynes, who was arguing for a sort of, um, what did they, Esperanza? Well, like an Esperanto, a sort yeah, of, yeah, let's yeah. come up with a, a neutral thing like, you know, Canberra yeah. or Washington, you know, a middle place rather than, anyway. Well, a, a currency that would be a sort of basket of, 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 of national currencies. But the US oh, won because of their Fort Knox, because they had so much gold. And of course, you know, all currencies were linked to, the gold oh, standard. Yeah. There was the silver standard and the gold standard. When you go way back, in in uh, domestic uh, transactions were in silver. So yeah. you got the the, the, yeah. the nickel and you yeah, yeah. And, and and sixpence and so forth. And international transactions were in gold. Right. Uh, and because there was so much gold in Fort Knox, they won to have the dollar as the unit of trade, and that was the beginning of the end. Right. Okay. Because they dropped the gold standard, of course. I was just going to say, I'm reading a book about the Anglo-Saxons at the moment. And, um, you know, you could tell how well or how, you know, how difficult a particular reign is by the the amount of silver in each penny. You know, because when you're being attacked by Vikings and there's less silver, there's you just produce pennies with less in. So, you know, it's been all the way through civilization from, you know. Well, but it kind of cracks me up in the modern age that gold is still valued. I know it makes pretty things, but we can we can make pretty things out of all sorts of things. And I just always manage when the apocalypse comes and they're, they're like, someone's hoarded gold and you're like, have you got any water? You, you know? can't eat you got gold. any electricity? Indeed. It's like, no, but you want some lovely jewellery? Look at that, it's lovely. You know, it's like, fucking hell. Like, it's, it's almost whatever base you... So we say, oh, the pound was based on the gold standard and everybody wants gold and gold's... For, it's like... Is it like you know? I hear I hear some things are important, like petrol, you know. But it's like gold. What can I do with it? I can make some electronics out of it, you know. We used to make computers out of it, you know. It's like okay, you know, it's a very good conductor, you know. It's like so if we if we're basing this sort of concept, whatever you get back to, it's always in some extent bullshit. Sorry, it's always a trust system. It's always it's always based on the fact that people like gold. People always want gold, and they like it. Do they? You know, really, when it comes to it, you know. But, I mean, taking it back to that moment that you said they chose the dollar and we fucked up and we should have had a basket of international currencies. Why? Why is that? 
Why is that a fuck up? What is the, what, what the dollar then, then could creep in something or? Well, now the dollar can be created as, as much as you like. Ah, so if it was a pool, we wouldn't have been able, we would have had to agree as, as a group yes. to say, can we print in this stuff? In terms of the supply, yes. Why doesn't what happened in Germany happen when they quantitatively ease? Why doesn't the currencies just go nuts when they just print money? Well, it does too. I mean, that's Euro now. Of that's course, why you're not supposed to do it a lot. Yeah, but it, you know, when he did it in the Second World War, whenever it was, you know, it was, it was before the Second World War, after. wasn't it? Or was it after? But anyway, the thing is that the financial markets are manipulated. Mm. The prices of, of financial assets are being manipulated all the time. Gold in particular is, in my opinion, um, just a speculative asset. And the comics Gold Futures are very often manipulated. Now, the CME is very good at calling out these manipulations. And if you look at the end of the week of all the manipulative trades that have been called out, not everybody reports them, but it's happening all the time. And unfortunately, that is the wealth of other nations, of Sri Lanka or, or mm. Venezuela. or uh, You know, that the financial markets determine the wealth of the global economy. Does this... And they're being manipulated all the time. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Ulrich Clark got its start back in 1935. And while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived. From complying with the FCA and all things financy, they can also speak fluently in the language of legalese. Clark was born and raised right here in the UK and now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way. Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. From what you were saying before, drawing us, drawing us back into this, um, this conversation is that from what you're saying, the value of a system of smart contracts, the value of the, the Ethereum network and stuff like that, that sounds to me, therefore, that something's that's not speculative anymore. Like almost all money, when we get down to it, it's just always hoping you're going to value it tomorrow. Whereas from what you've explained, a system that is actually functionally doing something has value, intrinsic yes, value. intrinsic value, yes. And is that is that... That's why you think it should become that that's good and that could be a coin and that could be a way of trading in society. I, I think it will be a, a sustainable, dominant crypto asset. But there are two types of crypto assets. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of them, but not all of them. In fact, only a few of them are the what we call the native token or the coin of a blockchain or stable coins. The rest are tokens. And this is why I'm so attracted to the whole area, because um, it's become a way of crowdfunding your business. You yeah, don't need ages. banks. Yeah. So these tokens are all smart contracts. Mm -hmm. Almost all of them are on Ether. They're called, it's called the ERC20 standard. And then there's a, for the NFTs, there's the ERC721, and there's a new one. But these, these, these smart contracts have to have certain code that makes them run on the Ethereum blockchain. And 
So if you start a new company, you can perhaps get a little bit of early investment from your uncle or something like that. But once you've got a website and you've got a good team and you've got a white paper and you've got a roadmap, you can then launch a token. And these tokens really are not coins at all. They are tokens. And it's completely different. It's what we call tokenomics, a new type of economics, thousands of them. So a little bit like shares, like the, you know, to get an initial public, to be a listed company, you have to exist for years and you have to have accountants doing everything. And then you have to go onto a stock exchange and you have to have a bank that's doing a underwriting. So one of the problems is that anybody can do um, and what we now, it's called an IEO or an IDO. An initial exchange offering means it goes to a CFI exchange or an IDO meaning it goes to a DeFi exchange or a CEX or a DEX. These are two types of exchanges, completely different. These are exchanges for like a foreign exchange sort of marketplace, yes? Or an equities exchange. An exchange of smart, we're still talking about smart contracts, utility token, tokenomics. We're talking about the tokenomics of it. Trading these tokens. Once they've been launched... Um, so there's a whole process. So it used to be called an ICO, right? Yes, initial coin offering. Yeah. But now, instead of being that's going the, that's by the, the offering, yeah, initial coin offering, we don't use that anymore. Um, but that's what market orders were going to do originally. Yeah, I had loads of well, quite a few clients who did it. Some of them very successfully at the time, and there was the sort of bubble in it. And 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 so they would write, uh, like you say, you you did it very quickly, but effectively they would say, we are building this platform that will do these things, and yes. we will we will pre-sell you tokens that will work on our platform that we haven't finished yet and we may never finish and actually may never happen and all of these things are probably just made up and I might just be going to the beach. But Exactly, by, you know, yes. And, in the and, early days, a lot of that happened. Day, and, then, and then for some fucking crazy reason, maybe the black money of the world, people wanted a launder or something. I don't know. That's the accusation. But I think people are just bonkers and people would buy this stuff, you know. They'd buy it for speculation. You know, my nephew called me up and said, oh, have you seen this? Oh my God, coin, you know, it looks really, really good. Anyway, so uh, we don't call them ICOs anymore because it used to be that there was an intermediary that they couldn't go straight to be to be traded once they were issued. But now they can be traded as soon as the, what we call oh, the token Oh, it goes straight launch. on the exchange. Yeah, wow. so it's called um, a token offering now. And there are two types, one that goes on to centralized exchanges, and it can be more than one, and one that goes on to decentralized exchanges. And those two exchanges are completely different. The decentralized exchanges are like intersections on the blockchain, um, on the motorways, you know, the, they come together and everything is recorded on the blockchain, so it's slow, although the Ethereum blocks are built every 15 seconds or seven seconds or whatever. Some of them are really fast, like look, the Solana is even faster. So, but nevertheless, they're on the blockchain, so everything is recorded. There's something called a block explorer that you can always look into and see where all the transactions are. The centralized exchanges are like um, uh, travel lodge or, you know, motorway, moto, you know, service stations. Yeah. And so is OpenSea, that's the NFT marketplace. You know, it's like it's like a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are, you know, you if you put crypto onto a centralized exchange, that is recorded on the blockchain, but what happens on that exchange is not recorded on the blockchain. And a lot of manipulation goes on in those things and you can't see it unless you look at the exchange. Why would I choose centralized or decentralized as a, as a way of a utility token? Why would, why would I go for either? 
Okay, so um, a centralized exchange uses the same type of trading as standard exchanges, the, the developed exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange or the CFTC or any other exchange that we know. Decentralized exchanges use a whole new way of trading. That's what's wonderful about this, the crypto metaverse, because there's so many out-of-the-box stuff happening. But the centralized exchanges use something called a limit order book, where you have somebody called a market maker whose duty it is to always hold a stall. You know, I will buy and sell lemons. Oh, the shop, the, basically. Yeah. He's buying from the distributor and he's selling to the customer and he makes a margin in between. That's and, right. And, and, and that. I'm prepared to pay X, so I'm prepared to pay Y. Okay. Exactly. So it's that type of, of, of model. Um, but for decentralized exchanges, there are these things called automated market makers, which and we don't have a shop. You have liquidity pools. Okay, saying I've got a thousand of these things, or you know, we've got a number of them. Is that one? Liquid? I mean, liquidity means people put liquidity into the pools, and if you want, it's the liquidity all about swaps. would be tokens. You, yes. Yeah. So you might put token A and token B into Uniswap, and so there's a certain amount of liquidity in token A and token B and token C and token D and so forth. And if you want to swap A for C, you look at the relative liquidity. Yes, right. And that will determine the price. And the amount you buy will also, you pay different prices for different amounts. It's a completely different type of trading. Let's bring it back to, a, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm running a business, you know, do I need tokens? Do I, should I have, should I be offering tokens for my company? I mean, you'll probably say, what's the company? So let's pick a, pick an industry. But is this something that's going to be part of all businesses or... Well, I think it's much more accessible to finance than going for an IPO or even a bond, you know. Only because it's not regulated, arguably. Well, maybe, yes. And the banks aren't getting their hands involved. But once you've got exactly. regulators, you've got auditors and accountants and lawyers and back we are to square one, no? Or, yeah. So at the moment it offers, and I think, I think I like what you said there, which is very true. And I think we watch this world fall apart, but we also watch it come together. It's like there's, there's an old world which is, dying and killing itself and a new world that's being created and at what point what you know are we going to are we going to you know transfer at the same time you know what how much are we going to lose to get to somewhere new because i mean personally i'm of the belief oh, we could press the nuclear bomb that's always possible but otherwise yeah maybe a lot of people will die from climate change but i don't think humans are going to get wiped out in the in within the next 500 years or you know 300 years there's going to be some sort of transition of entire society probably, you know possibly in people who are alive lifetime do you know what i mean but well that's what nfts are all about um nfts are linked to metaverses and there are different types of NFTs. In fact, an NFT, by definition, is simply a certificate of ownership mm -hmm. that's turned into a smart contract that's recorded on a blockchain. It's called minting the NFT. And there are two types of NFTs that are particularly linked to metaverses, land and what we call collectibles, avatars. Have you heard of the Bored Ape Yacht Club? Sure. Yeah, and CryptoPunks and things like that. Okay. And, and then, of course, you've got all the associated merchandise for the metaverse, like Nike have virtual trainers. So, you know, suppose in this Overland, which is the metaverse associated with Board Ape Yacht Club, Sorry, other side. Sorry, Overland is one of the is a, is, a, is one of the land NFTs. I can talk about that in a minute. Uh, there are different types of metaverses. You didn't, you didn't mean land. Like I do mean land. Oh, I've, do mean I've land. bought the business school at Sussex, the London School of Economics, Brighton Pier, and the Apple Store. 
Nice. <laughs> Brilliant. I was gonna uh, I was gonna ask you, 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 you just uh, all the important things. Like, yeah. I'm just gonna go for those. But those but, but when you when you not land in reality, land in a virtual land. Yes, there are two I've uh, I've I've used two metaverses to buy that land. Um, and I mean, I could have used for something like Brighton Pier or Buckingham Palace. There's several metaverses selling that land. So, but why do they replicate reality? They just are at the moment. Augmented reality. It may be raining, and you put on your glasses like yeah. this, and you flick to Tilly Earth or Overland or Decentraland or one of these metaverses, and you will see an alternative Version. reality. Ah, but you'll okay. still be in Buckingham, Buckingham Palace. Palace. Oh, She's a professor I didn't of finance, know that you, you know? So I could pay someone else to go out into the rain and stand in Oxford Street so I could be in Oxford Street because I could probably like pair with their glasses or something. Possibly, like yes. That. Okay, so that's augmented reality. And they and there's several companies out there who've recreated the world thanks to Google Maps probably and then said, right, you can buy the land and then let's put up a signpost. So we need to buy our office, step one, just because I feel like we're missing out at FOMO. Then there's what? The virtual reality. Yes, virtual reality is frightening. With all the good stuff. Well, that's where, you know, these young iGen people, they don't get out of bed. They're already playing playing to earn and earning quite a bit of money. Playing to earn. Yeah, right. And so, you know, so think about the Bored Ape Yacht Club. These avatars, I mean, some of them go for seven, eight hundred dollars even wow. now, even they're, though the price is. I mean, they're not even either. that good. They're okay. Well, they 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 bring some benefits, you know, there's a sort of club involved. But when you own that avatar on the other side, when that gets running, that'll be who you are. You'll have x-ray eyes and that'll be very rare, or you might have just blue eyes, um, and you'll have a special sort of cap or something like that. And that will set you apart like Wow, that's a rare one, and right. that, that so you have to pay more. Um, and then, so you, like you, everything, it's all about rarity and yes, commonality. If you yeah, like. well, I mean, when you think of CryptoPunks, they were actually given out free ages ago. They were the original ones, and then they started to be sold for very large amounts. But if you own one, you're either really clever because you were right in there in the beginning and you got it for free, or really stupid because you really bought it. Rich. really rich, <laughs> really rich. <laughs> Yeah. Really stupid because you've wasted your money on a stupid <laughs> fucking no, monkey I, that doesn't I, exist. Know, I am not in any way the I generation, obviously, I gen, but I'm not going to lie. I lost about two, two and a half years of my life to Bre- Zelda Breath of the Wild video right. game. Okay, well, Classic. You, which is a whole new world, like that you go in and you spend yes, time. Yes, but in. when you go back there, maybe mm-hmm. the, the equivalent, you, you could have a wonderful avatar. You could be buying, because you've earned so much money from the game, a wonderful pair of Nike trainers. Mm-hmm. They're virtual ones, but they allow you to bounce more and you can get in and out of the, the exits and, you know, and you can earn more points. Or a cup that of way. tea that tastes absolutely perfect. <laughs> so, depending on what you're looking for. So, okay, so if I'm sitting there as a business and I've got a premises or, you know, I think what you've told us about the stuff attached to land is is already interesting. You could speculate and try and buy something that pisses people off. My, my uncle, uh, uh, legend that he is, I believe he brought... Uh, it was Coke, uh, McDonald's. He bought the McDonald's uh, brand, and uh, they took a while to wrestle it off him many years back because he's a he's a, he's, a, he's a bit of a card. He is, but anyway, and I've bought everyone... the two universities that I went to. Yeah, that's quite good. <laughs> Did you? That's yeah, fantastic. Just to off. Next time, I own <laughs> this fucking place. You don't talk to me like that. Slam in the virtual world. Anyway. Okay, great. This has been very helpful. Um, so, do you think? 
from all we've said here, so let's just keep bringing it back to, I'm sitting there as a business going, what the fuck is all this shit about? You know? <laughs> like, well, am I supposed to care about it? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to sell my shit, you know, for crypto? Uh, like, I mean, forget about the details because like, oh, you need to have a wallet and all of that. Because that just, that, that's like that you've got a new iPhone, you've got to know how to use it. That's just shit you'd have to learn. But on yeah, a basic level- Yeah, soon it'll be much easier. Yeah. But on a basic of what, what what should a business be doing now? You know, what what, what should, you know, let's let's take two businesses. Let's take a well, big let, tech Let's company. take the example of um, one of my third year students who's formed a company with um, a, a, an entrepreneur. Um, it's called Red Kite. Can I talk about? Yeah. You can talk about yeah. whatever you want. You may have noticed we're not holding back. Okay. Red Kite NFT. Okay. okay. RK Analytics, for example, is, is one of their um, new offshoots that I'm working with them on. Um, because I taught Toby um, in his third year, the blockchains and crypto assets. And, um, and so we've been working on um, the design of these collectibles like Board 8 Milk Club, because there's a serious flaw in their design and also in the way that people are um, pricing them and things like that. I can't say more. Yeah. It's one of these subjects that I <laughs> yeah. told you beforehand I can't talk about. So Red Kite Analytics or Red Kite NFTs are um, these startups that Toby, my student, has, has started with an entrepreneur called Nick. And they have a token roadmap. And they were just about to launch their token when we had this big Terra Luna attack. You know, the attack on the one of the stable coins it was a new type of stable coin that was attacked at the beginning of May. Attacked um, uh, a cyber attack, effectively. Uh, a trading attack. Right. Because um, these liquidity pools that I was talking about mm -hmm. can be very easily manipulated. There's something called the curve pool. And so the, the pool that swaps Terra for other assets was, um, the, the liquidity was very, very distorted. And they did that for money, to steal money, was it? Or just to fuck with people? To fuck with people. Okay. So, you know, there was this, this three-curve, um, three-stablecoin pool that was being manipulated, um, possibly, because Terra was linked to another actual coin called Luna, which wasn't a stable coin, with an algorithm that meant that when Tether, and when the Terra price went a little bit lower than $1, then uh, the uh, supply would be retracted and more Luna would be printed. It's like Terra and Luna, the Earth and the Sun. Yeah, yeah. Right. And if the price of Terra got too high, then the, the, price, the, the supply of Tether would be increased and the supply of Luna decreased. So they were very much manipulating the market to get better prices for the two things. Well, no, the, 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 the story is that one of these large US hedge funds took a big short on Luna, right. then destroyed this algorithm, and then made a lot of money on shorting Luna. I was going to say, is this mm -hmm. a Russian thing or was this an American hedge fund? B, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. So they didn't, they, they've got the roadmap, but they haven't launched yes, the... Because of, um, so, so Red Kite NFT um, had everything in place to launch the token when this happened. And then because um, something happens in one part of the ecosystem, the price of Bitcoin goes down. And then everything collapses mm -hmm. at the moment mm -hmm. because Bitcoin is it. It won't be like that for the next couple of years. You know, in the in an, in the next couple of years, I'm fairly sure. In fact, I predicted the price of Bitcoin would go down to ten thousand this year. It hasn't yet. It went well, down it to has. twenty thousand, and now it started to go up again. Um, but anyway, 
going back to their token launch. So it's just these two, um, they have capital from, you know, early investors. And that, that the, the, the roadmap of um, a token launch is that you do have early investors. They get the token at a, um, yeah, a, at a better, at a discount. Um, so it gives them the capital to start. And then once the token is launched on one of these centralized exchanges or on one of the decentralized exchanges, people start trading it. And there are other um, platforms, for example, blackdragon.io, where you can buy a seat. The Black Dragon seat used to cost about $100,000. I think it might be a bit less now. The Green Dragon seat, only $20,000. It all depends on the price of the Black Dragon token. And a friend of mine who's a trader has a Green Dragon seat, but his friend who's a Black Dragon, he won't sell his seat. He could sell it for whatever the market price is. It may not be 100000 now. It's probably about down to 80000 but he is not doing that. Because Black Dragon are watching thousands of these tokens and they're talking to the companies. They're doing the um, Warren Buffett analysis. That that was my question is how do you create a market for your token? I know you're on the market and wanting people to trade in your token, but how do you get people to actually start trading your token rather than somebody else's token? Well, at last I can talk about a specific piece of research that I haven't actually published, but I was going to talk about some of my other papers, but they're on my website if anybody wants to look. Lots of it about manipulation and how the prices are formed and so forth, or option markets. But this particular piece of research with a student of mine called Michael Dacos, who's almost finished his PhD, we haven't published it yet, but it's about what makes the success of a token. And things have, there's lots of papers about it, but it just changes all the time. So poor Michael has had to redo the work and he's actually mapped how it's changed over the years. So it used to be that if you had a really good advisory board, if you had a lot of um, Twitter traffic and, and various other so things like that. So sort of the same things that, you know, if you asked me what makes a good startup or why is a startup successful? Which should be correct because ultimately I'm buying in the chance of you know, you're, succeeding. You're basically saying to a startup you need a good advisory board, you need well, people that have done this before. That, that's still important, but right now what, what Michael's finding is that it, where you launch, the platform you choose, you know, is it this DEX, DEX, or this CEX, where, where do you launch? That's a badge, you know, so, because you can't get on all of these platforms. Because the Black Dragon, who's the gatekeepers, the Black Dragon? No, the Black Dragon's something else. I mean, they will take that into account, but Black Dragon are basically doing exactly that. They are, but they're also talking to the company. They're actually visiting the company and looking at their, their business model, and then they will make recommendations. At the same time, they so negotiate like curated, deals for the Black Dragon holders. It's almost like a curated service. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Like they are doing the work for you to tell you what And who do the Black, the Black Dragons work for themselves? So or? the Black, Green, Yellow, White Dragon seats, if you've got a Black Dragon seat, you will get the best deals that they've negotiated with Red Kite or whatever. Um, if you're a green dragon, you just get. Where, where, what's where left. are these seats? Obviously, they're not in reality. But who, who's who? Well, you owns? buy a seat. So if you if you go to the blackdragon.io site, yeah. you should be able to. I was looking at it the other day, and I couldn't see. It used to be really prominent that you can just click here to buy a green seat, a yellow seat, or, or whatever. I couldn't see any seats for sale. It may be that there's none available now because they are so popular. There is a finite number yeah. of seats because they can only negotiate so many deals. So you but may you're just buying them to... from a company that has, is a fund, effectively, is it? You know, it's someone. It's an advisory, a curating, curating. service. So, right, right. So my my friend Sam Baker, who's a, a trader, um, lives in Brighton. He has a green 
seat. And his friend, who I don't know, um, has this black seat. He's been making more than a million easily a year wow. from just having that seat and just taking the deals that he's offered. And it's only the, the less good ones that, that, that are offered to Sam. So, But he's still, mm. you know, doing, okay. doing quite well. Yeah. yeah. We've got about three lines of conversation going on. So let's do, so the original line was how a business uses it in terms of, you know, you were talking about your students uh, launch Red Kite. Yes. It? Yeah. So let's let's just draw back to there. So what... What's red Kite it? NFT, because right. there's another Red Kite. Okay, Red Kite NFT. So what is the actual business of Red Kite NFT? Oh, it's very interesting. It's something I haven't spoken about yet. It originally was fractionalization. So... You can have these. I'm waiting for you to say something I understand the first time round. <laughs> oh, it's very interesting. They make banana. They make a banana drink. Oh, a banana drink. I knew it. I knew I understand. That's bananas in a drink. No. It's got nothing to do with bananas or drinks. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, <laughs> so they do fractionalization. We know what a fraction is. We know nothing to do. Well, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it is. nothing to do with fractions. Of course it is. It is. It's got fractions in it. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> think of actual real art on your wall. I mean, yep. real art. I've got some of that. Yep. You may not be able to afford, I don't, maybe you can, a, a, a Hockney. How dare you? No. Exactly. <laughs> but you may be able to afford a small bit of a Hockney. Oh, okay. I know that world where they chop the picture up into little yeah, yeah, bits yeah, yeah. and then sell each one as an NFT. But I've yeah. never understood the fact that you give me a little digital certificate and I'm like, yeah, but that's not actually a bit of the Hockney. The Hockney's over there. Oh, no, no, no. But honestly, that's a bit of the Hockney. It's like, no, it's not. It's a fucking piece of code. I'm well, never... it's an investment. It's enough. an investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so a way you're of still not going to have it on your wall. It's still not. You can have a picture on your wall. They'll send you a picture, you know. I guess. But that's... I mean, but they were originally started with that, but now they're expanding into other areas. At least it's got intrinsic... No, I don't mean to knock it, but I, there's always this thing with digital interaction with the analogue world, as we would call it in music, is that you always end up with this thing, if it's going to interact with the analogue world, so no, 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 that is that over there. It's like, okay, is it? You know, it's like, I mean, um, Banksy's thing where he would tear, tear a five-pound note, you know, and he, you'd get half the five-pound note and he's got the other five-pound note. And that's how you know... But it, it, I think it's like stuck to the back of the painting. It's like, it's like not, well, I'll swap that out for another five pound note and now I'm done, aren't I? You know, I, I mean, I guess not because you need to. I just guess, I get, I get that NFTs, you know, potentially are, you know, a way to make money and a way to have an asset that appreciates in value. What I don't really get is, and it's because I'm very analog because I'm very old, but for example, I will see a Gauguin painting in a book and I think, well, I'm just painting that. Then I go to the National Gallery and I see it in real life and it's stunning. Especially if it's and been the, cleaned. Yeah, but the original thing has a life and a kind of vibrancy to it that pictures in a book doesn't have. Particularly in paintings, particularly in sort of physical artworks. The original very often... Well, it's actually it's something that's stunning, and it's one of and the. And I'm not going to get to put that on my wall or have that have that. Well, if you if house. one of these people that gets a kick out of I don't know money or power or yeah, whatever, owning something. Oh, I if you get a kick out of oh, I own a little bit yeah. of that, then you do it. 
Yeah. Actually, the interesting thing I always think, because I'm a music man, is that music can be replicated and photography perfectly again and again and again. And, and that's the beauty of music, that we can make a million, billion, it doesn't matter, we'll just keep making, and they're all identical. What you listen to them on, your headphones, whatever. But art is like, you know, paintings, paintings, sculpture, you know, these are things that it's like, you can't, you can't mask. You say you that, but when you go and see a band live and hear them perform. It's usually worse. <laughs> it depends. Well, NFTs well, the, in the music industry are also very useful because there's a means of artists actually getting royalties and cutting out the intermediaries. And NFTs in sport are also really useful. So you don't, you can't get multiple ticket sales if it's an NFT. And you know these these fans another rioting market that is. Yeah, you know. yeah. So you, you, it's a it's much easier way of regulating things like music and sport. But hang on, your NFTs. Red- everything will be an NFT soon. I mean, my birth certificate will be an NFT. Yeah, because it because it's because it's a digital certificate, and we need. But your example of Red Kite, their business model appears to be already a, a digital or crypto. What's the polite term? You know, it's already in the world of that of NFTs. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm asking. What if, if you actually had a business yeah, that was a banana drink. Uh, yeah, we're banana drink manufacturers. Some of the yes. best banana drinks mm. you've ever tasted in your life. There from bananas. Well, how would here? your token yeah. be linked to the banana drink? That's well, the I'm point. saying I'm sitting there. You've really, got to link the token to the value of your business. Okay, you got to because that's where I'm, I'm sitting there as a business thinking, should I be doing? Now I know I need to buy some land. I've got to buy up my banana plantation, which is in real life, and I better buy it up in fake land, otherwise, some bastard will nick it off me, you know? <laughs> so, okay, tick. <laughs> now I'm thinking to my customers, okay, I, I could use a QR code and I could do the certificate of authenticity that this is really my banana drink, not some dodgy Chinese banana, sorry, China, dodgy <laughs> Chinese banana drink from, uh, so that's second use. That's a bit of blockchain in there. Private blockchain, that's a public blockchain, private blockchain, probably, who cares? And then thirdly, should I be paid in, you know, you wouldn't say get paid in Bitcoin. Should I be paid in crypto for my banana drinks? Should I have an NFT as a, you know, a merchandising, is it, you know, in that example? Well, the- let, let's look, use an example of Brighton and Hove, where I've just come from. Now, it gets incredibly crowded in the summer and, you know, I don't even bother going down the beach. Um, the prices go up and so forth and you can't really regulate what's happening. People stream in from the station and they go straight down to the Palace Pier, etc., etc. Now, already some Towns have introduced their own tokens um, so that in order to spend money in restaurants or go to the beach or whatever it is, you have to buy the token. So um, imagine that Brighton and Hove token gets put on to some sort of exchange, Uniswap or something like that. So it has a free market value. And the more popular, the better that Brighton is run, the higher the value of that token because more people will want to be coming to Brighton. Well, Hove, actually. Right. <laughs> Technically, yeah. And you don't have to go to the beach because you've already bought the pier on whichever. Yeah, I live there, but the was. value of my house might, you know, be dependent on Brighton and Hove token eventually. So, over, overall, I think you've given us a really good oversight of the different ways that people are using this technology. But I think, and that's why we're sitting here and we're going to continue to sit here forever discussing this subject. Now, we have a few subjects, sustainability, 
crypto, blockchain, whatever you want to, they're just evolving so fast. None. I mean, you you are keeping up on a level because you you really understand what's going on mathematically. You're obviously embedded in it. You've also you're, you're teaching young mm. people who are coming up with ideas and they're exactly. growing up with it. I mean, I, I have clients in it and stuff, and I, I'm almost amazed there are that many clever people out there. I know, I know that sounds ridiculous, but there's so many dumbasses out there. Like people, you know, they have to put on a packet of nuts, open eat, and yet, you know, at the same time. This this community of like mind blood and they're they're young and they're growing up with it and they're just like look all the shit we can do with it and it's layered it's like okay you got to understand that concept and that concept exactly. and it's a whole another universe so the, the, anyone over a certain age is being left out you know a bit like the internet did to to, to my mum I mean I just tried to book a card last night and I'm fucking I was like I, this is why I feel sorry for my mum because it's just like I I think it's impossible you know and yet this new world's coming about this new world's coming in and I just maybe we're like the lost generation it's like I feel like people who are 20 or 30 or under you know it's it's it, we can't, we we won't even be able to be on board we'll be broke you know oh you should have bought you know we haven't got any ether you've got the pound oh the pound's fucked you know or whatever but it's also you've got to remember amazing it's kind of swings and roundabouts because it's amazing how many of those kind of people are completely incapable of dealing with the real world. So I happened to be reading a Twitter thread this morning, which was started by a guy with a PhD who said, um, I, I opened some super glue this morning to see if there was any in there and squeezed it into my hand. And then I tried to wipe it off using a box. And so he'd obviously got the box attached to his hand and he couldn't like. That's a classic and then PhD it was just, student though, isn't it? No, it was no, the my, guy with a PhD, it was a lecturer. Yeah, yeah. They never and had like any practical the, understanding. The underneath was just hundreds of kind of people giving their credentials. You know, I've got two PhDs in this and that. And I just dropped <laughs> oh, super glue in my eye instead <laughs> of eye drops or whatever it is. Do you think that with this huge change in society, there'll be point where the government has a duty to the people to almost step in and say, okay, right, you know you've got 100 grand in your bank account, you've now got 100 grand and, let's not do Bitcoin, 100,000 Ether, and we're going to get someone to come around your house and train you how to use it. Or do you know, is there any... No, the, this of, learning curve is getting steeper and steeper yeah. and regulators are way behind. Yeah. Regulators are not, in my opinion, sufficiently well-staffed. They don't pay enough. And so... It's not um, a sexy job to start with, is it? Do you want mm, to be a regulator? It's like, well, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so, and, and it's an unstoppable tide. It's like King Canute trying to say, you know, stop. They're never going to do it. It's, re it's really interesting because we really need regulation. And that's one of the things I've been calling for for a long time in the crypto. It was supposed to be self-regulating. That was the whole point. It's supposed to be decentralized. But it isn't. There's centralized finance and there's decentralized finance and there's trad fi traditional finance. So there's, there's a, this thing that I was talking about with the Terra Luna, it was an attack of TradFi on DeFi. And then what happened was the CFI, the big, Players in centralized finance in, in CFI came in and tried to 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 be you know the so bank of last resort and save no to set, not so much policemen but just to to bail out the, the the DeFi that got hit, but it it is not self regulating it's human nature um, for greed. You know, well, is it greed, fear, power, whatever power. it is? But there will always be these larger centralized 
and things. And in, in decentralized finance, even there you're getting large centralized places like Uniswap and so forth, even though they should be run by something called a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. That was where it started, where everything is voted, everything is democratic, everything's cooperative. So centralized finance is effectively a version of traditional finance in a digital way. And then DeFi is, is more different because it is, again, it's DAOs used. Yes, I started DAOs. talking about decentralized autonomous organizations. So the only stable coin of that type that's left is um, DAI, and that's run by MakerDAO. And that has a cap market cap of about 10 billion. But Terra has a market cap where it's going down um, of about 65 billion. Ridiculous. Can you imagine mm. printing $65 billion? And USDC, um, that's the uh, the Circles coin, has a market cap of about 55. It's which, almost as much as, as Tether now. Which which one I want to use, I want to use some. Which which one am I using? At the moment, uh, Circle is the one that most people favor because um, its collateralization has been better audited. It only has treasury bills and cash. Tether has treasury bills it, and a lot of commercial the money. paper. And it's got. It's, it's more likely to like have a the bank, money. Just like a bank, it leverages its money. It shouldn't. Or well, I don't know what Circle does with its, with its assets. Someone um, on a beach somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Circle that's better auditing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and better collateralization, but the the these um, the the Dai coin is over collateralized. That's the, the wait. wait collateralization yeah. means what? It means well. For example, I want to take a loan from you, yeah, and I will give you my watch okay. As the charges, what the, the, the yeah. So ultimately, with I'm I'm doing tether. I'm doing a stable coin. You're supposed to have my money in your bank. My bank, yeah, you should yeah, be 100 yeah. collateralized. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, other than mm. some fees or something. Well, you know, there could be some euros or something like that. But tether had a lot of has still a lot of commercial paper, which is just an IOU. <laughs> and that's only as good as whoever the IOU is from. Oh, yes. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, so that brings us to the favourite part of the show. You've 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 won. You've you've passed the test. Okay. We're, we're, we're on to the fun bit. Um, oh. <laughs> so what's this? This is the short bit. This is the short bit. So this is the business versus this is the bullshit. Surprise. This okay. is the business versus right. bullshit quick far round. Okay. All right. So we're gonna say something, and you have to tell us whether you think it is business or bullshit. Are we clear? Yes. Fantastic. D, cue the music. Uh, diversity quotas. Bullshit. Stand up meetings, having a meeting, standing up. Business. Have you, have you, have you done one? Yes, sorry, stand up. <laughs> My watch says. <laughs> oh, I see, yeah. Uh, caffeine. Business. Uh, agendas, meeting agendas. Business. Um, office dogs. This is quite an important one. Yeah, I was going to have him here today, but... Business. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You are uh, No, oh. I actually wanted to say bullshit. Yes. But, but, okay. Oh, no, tell the truth. Tell <laughs> yeah, the truth. I only really like it because it annoys him. Yeah. Um, carbon credits. Business. And is that a world that's going to be... Uh, uh, blockchain sounds like crypto, the way to solve carbon credit bullshit, isn't it? <laughs> it's not the solution no. to everything. <laughs> no? Well, it needs to be. Um, swearing in meetings. Business. Pub lunches. B bullshit, because I presume pub means alcohol. Yeah. 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 You don't drink? I do. Oh, but but drink not at lunchtime. Not at lunchtime. 
Depends what kind of business you're doing. <laughs> uh, B Corps. Have you come across B Corps? The no. US. The US, it's like a US certification that you get if you fulfill certain criteria and it's kind of to identify business for good. Okay, well, so I'll just say bullshit because it comes yeah, from the US. It's <laughs> a popular response. Uh, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements? Uh, probably bullshit. Correct. Uh, unlimited holidays? Bullshit. LinkedIn. Business. Uh, Brexit. Business. Really? I mean, no, no, bullshit. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? The other yes. one. Yes. yes. Bullshit, yeah. 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 NFTs. Business. Bitcoin. Bullshit. Fantastic. That's the end of the quick fire <laughs> round. You scored 12,000... Uh, <laughs> multiplied by pi over 12. Is, is there anything at the moment you'd like to, 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 to pitch for the audience to say, go read this or, you know, anything you've written or done that you'd be, like people to check out? Okay, well, I've got a YouTube channel of some of my old lectures um, called Professor, I think, Prophecy Alexander's Lockdown Lectures. Nice. Because I had to record everything in, I think it was 2021, um, that term, because I do all my teaching in one term. 80 videos of wow. blockchain, cryptos, and risk management. Of course, the risk management is still, um, my financial risk management doesn't change very much, unfortunately, still just measuring minutiae. But sorry about that. But the blockchain and crypto, okay, it's really, really old, but it's a good way of, of, of getting introduced. Every year I change that course completely. So my third years and my graduates, I do different courses for those, but um, I've got two new courses coming up and all these new things we've been talking about will be taught. Fucking nightmare. You haven't got it. Like when I did mechanical engineering, they were done. About a hundred years ago, as far as I can work out, they were like, uh, no, well, we're done. <laughs> exactly. Right? Everything's a hundred years old. It's like, oh, we did that a hundred years ago. We did, you know, there's nothing new in mechanical engineering. I'm sure there's something somewhere, <laughs> but maybe not. You've got to, like, every year do the course. If you did last year's, they'd laugh at you. Exactly. Not many people are willing to do that because mm. a lot of people lot of are just, they want to publish or perish, mm. you know. Um, for me, it doesn't matter because I'm 66. But what matters to me is young people, is the future of young people. So I've actually got this real fire in my belly about teaching young people about what they need to know for this new economy. So surgeons and postgrads can take that. Is there are a bunch of professors out there, similarly mindsetted in the UK, who meet up and drink heavily, maybe cappuccinos. Uh, well, the latter, yes. Those that actually um, really keep up to, to breast with teaching the material for young people. I know some really nice professors in the US, um, or Canadian, um, not American. They happen to be in the US. Um, or Canadians in Germany and uh, Holland. Canadians, uh, particularly good as professors or something there? I don't know, something to do with the Canadian personality. They do work very hard in Canada mm. and um, they tend to be maybe a little bit more altruistic. Yeah, another word, I'm not quite sure what it means, but I will look it up later. <laughs> generous for other people yeah. rather than yourself. Okay, I would have said generous. I feel that's close enough. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. And we'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then... It's ciao.